Women's Health Melbourne is a boutique, specialist fertility and women's health practice, caring for women at all life stages. We're proud to provide world-class holistic medical care, including IVF and a range of other fertility treatments. We provide our patients with every opportunity to achieve their goals. Our two Melbourne locations are in Fitzroy and our new state-of-the-art Caulfield practice. Reach us at womenshealthmelbourne.com.au and you can follow both Women's Health Melbourne and Dr Radia Lou on the socials. Confused about fertility and trying to get pregnant? Want to know more but don't want to flag it to the world? Welcome to our podcast, Knocked Up. I'm your host, Geordie Morrison. I'm not medical, but I'm a 39-year-old woman who has her eggs in a freezer. I'm joined as always by Dr. Rayleigh Alou, a CREI certified reproductive endocrinologist and infertility specialist. If you're enjoying the show, please leave a review on your preferred listening app. And if you know someone who might benefit from listening to Knocked Up, send them a link. This is our passion project. We do it to support individuals and couples who are thinking about fertility with evidence-based information. Today we're answering a listener question. We were asked about cortisol, what this does and how it impacts fertility, pregnancy. I think maybe we start with what is it? I've heard of it as the stress hormone, but that doesn't really tell me what it is. Yeah, so cortisol is a hormone and it does help the body deal with stress. It doesn't cause it. Okay, so it doesn't cause stress, it helps you with stress. Yeah, and um, there might be a link between stress and getting pregnant. There are definitely studies underway, but there aren't clear-cut kind of guidelines about stress levels or evidence that stress directly relates to fertility per se. Stress affects everything in our body. It probably affects pregnancy as well to some degree. And there was actually an interesting Israeli study once that looked at having a clown in an embryo transfer lounge and they found better pregnancy rates when the clown was there entertaining (laughs) compared to when the clown wasn't. So that's just an interesting study. It's not a randomised controlled trial, but it just goes to show that the way we look after our patients and if if our goal is to look after them beautifully and reduce stress then maybe that does help. And um, certainly we do have body rhythms throughout the day and cortisol does affect our body rhythms. A lot comes with stress, not sleeping, affected appetite, everything. Is it with a bit like the chicken and the egg, stress causes infertility or infertility causes stress? Yeah, exactly. So infertility probably does cause quite a lot of stress. Yeah, like if you're worrying and not sleeping, that would affect your body rhythms more? And probably the more severe your infertility, the more serious your infertility, the kind of worst prognosis your doctor has given you in terms of your chance of success, the more stressed out you're going to be. If I have a patient who comes in and I say to them, look, I'm not sure how much intervention we're going to need, but there's plenty of eggs, there's plenty of sperm, you've got a normal uterus, Worst case scenario, if we use IVF, I'm sure you're going to get there. That's 
very different to someone who, say, for example, might not have a very high ovarian reserve, might be aged well over 40, and I might say to them, look, your chance of getting pregnant each IVF cycle, even if we throw everything at you, is not fantastic. So it doesn't mean we won't try our very best to get you there, but, you know, that that prognosis is going to probably be a lot more stressful. Well, what is it? Where does what it come is cortisol? From? Yeah, can I yeah. control it? Well, yes and no. Okay. So cortisol is a steroid hormone, and a steroid hormone, steroids are a class of hormone, and they are made from cholesterol as the basic building block. And steroids are secreted by different, what we call endocrine glands around the body. Cortisol is a class of. It's in a class called glucocorticoid. And it's made by the adrenal gland and the adrenal gland also makes mineralocorticoids, which is another class of steroid hormones. They're cousins and relatives of other steroid hormones you might have heard of, like androgens, Mm -hmm. which are, for an example, testosterone or DHEA, they're androgens, estrogens and progestogens or progesterone. They're all other steroid hormones made by other endocrine glands like the testis and the ovary, for example. You mentioned it's a cholesterol? Yeah. So cholesterol is a building block of these steroid hormones and good cholesterol in our diet is very important because we need to use that building block to make hormones and also other things like, for example, the structure of the membranes around all our cells have cholesterol-derived building blocks, so it's not all bad. Nice. And um, steroid hormones work in what we call a lock and key model, meaning that they have a receptor that they bind to. And in the case of steroids, the receptor is within what we call the nucleus or the control centre of the cell. And they regulate a wide range of processes throughout the body. And cortisol regulates particularly metabolism and also the immune system. So it's a very important hormone in helping your body respond to stress There are people out there who don't have enough natural cortisol production. They might have a pituitary problem, and we'll talk about how cortisol is controlled. Or they might be on medication that means that their natural feedback loop that helps them regulate their cortisol isn't working properly. And if they have a stress, like an operation or an illness, people like that need to be given extra cortisol as a drug. And you might have heard of drug names like prednisolone or hydrocortisone, and they are steroid hormones that are doing the same thing as cortisol. And why would you be given those? Because your body needs steroids to mount a response to stress. Your body needs that. It's important. And if you're not making it, you need to take it. You mentioned hormones just before. What, what is a hormone? A hormone is a messenger molecule that is released by a gland and travels in the blood or sometimes hormones travel more locally to bind to receptors in cells and activate particular functions. So, for example, if I want to get something done, I might send an email to you, Geordie, and you might do it for me. So the email would be the hormone. So I would be the control centre gland, the email would be the hormone, and and you would be the actioning gland cell at the other end. So cortisol is also called hydrocortisone. It's the same thing. And it's made in the cortex of the adrenal gland, which is an area of that gland. 
And every cell in the body has receptors for cortisol. So it is literally what we call a ubiquitous hormone. It's needed everywhere. And it has a huge range of functions, including regulating metabolism, controlling your sugar levels indirectly. It's got anti-inflammatory actions, which is why it can be used as a drug for immune conditions. And it's important in memory formation. It's important in controlling salt and water balance indirectly. It influences your blood pressure. It helps development in the fetus. There are lots and lots of different roles. And in some species, not humans, but in some species, cortisol is also responsible for triggering labour. The thing about cortisol is that it's not a bad hormone. You shouldn't think of it, even though we, we think of it like as a stress hormone, it's not a bad hormone. It's actually a really good hormone. And it has a diurnal rhythm meaning that you release different amounts of cortisol at different times of the day. And most people release higher levels in the morning and cortisol levels fall throughout the day. So often when we measure cortisol, if we want to know what your levels are, if we want to see if you're deficient and you're not making enough, we'll generally measure it first thing in the morning. Interestingly, people who work night shifts have different patterns. It's often reversed. Of course. So that just goes to show you that what we do and our daily activities can really influence our body rhythms. As would lack of sleep. Yeah. And one of the, the different molecules that's been studied in fertility in various ways, but that can be helpful, is melatonin. Just as a side, it's got nothing to do with cortisol. But melatonin is one of the molecules that helps kind of regulate the sleep-wake cycle. And we found that there has been some evidence of better outcomes in IVF with the use of melatonin in certain populations. Uh, it's one of these things that has possible multiple ways of being helpful because it's also an antioxidant in its own right, meaning it's a molecule that helps mop up free radicals. But one of the ways that it might help is giving you a good night's sleep and a better body rhythm, and that can affect lots of other hormones. So we're still learning about how all these things interact together. In response to extra stress, cortisol is absolutely essential to help you respond appropriately and it's involved in what you call the fight or flight response. So, you know, let's just say a tiger's attacking you, then you need to release a whole lot of cortisol and it'll help blood go to your muscles so you can run away. Like adrenaline. <laughs> yeah, a little bit like that. And it just helps you cope by regulating your sugars and your blood pressure and all of those things. So it is important in terms of control of the hormone, it's got a feedback loop. And a lot of hormones do have a feedback loop where you have, like like the, the barometer um, or a, a central control centre where if you're making enough, it dampens down production and if you're not making enough, it'll ramp it up. So there's an axis of glands. When I say axis, it's like a kind of a pathway uh, of communication between the hypothalamus, which is in the brain, and the pituitary gland, which I call middle management. It's a little gland at the base of the brain. And it's very important for lots of different hormone systems feedback loops. And then the adrenal glands are the factory. They're where the cortisol is made. And this pathway is called the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. I knew this episode was going to have a lot of very <laughs> big words. Can you have too much cortisol? 
Well, it's one of those things, you know, like everyone's levels will fluctuate a lot. So if I measured your cortisol 20 times in the same day, every measurement would be a bit different. Because the feedback loop is saying, I need more, I need less. And because you've got a diurnal rhythm. Yes. So anyway, what I would say is that I would caution anyone who's had one measurement of cortisol at a random time, you can read too much into that because it's always changing. And unless you have symptoms of a syndrome, you can't really worry too much about it. I would, I would, I would caution against panic on that score because if you measure it again even the next day, it'll be different. When you have low cortisol levels, it's sensed by the hypothalamus and this axis has other molecules involved. There's a molecule called CRH, which is called corticotropin, which manages the messaging between the hypothalamus and the pituitary gland. So the hypothalamus figures out there's not enough cortisol and it sends this CRH molecule to the pituitary saying, hey, there's not enough cortisol. And then there's this other molecule which produces adrenocorticotropic hormone, which is ACTH for short, and that is what travels in the bloodstream and tells the factory, the adrenal gland, to make more cortisol. And then... If the adrenal gland makes more cortisol and there's plenty of cortisol, then that cortisol travels in the bloodstream back to the hypothalamus and the hypothalamus is like, yep, enough cortisol here and it dampens down those other signals. So that is what you call a negative feedback loop. So there are some syndromes where people have too much cortisol all the time and you would have symptoms of this if you had it. One is called Cushing syndrome. Mm -hmm. There's Cushing's syndrome and Cushing's disease, to be fair. So um, when you have Cushing's disease, it's when you make too much cortisol and you're making that with a overgrowth of the adrenal gland, making too much cortisol that is not kind of playing ball with this regulatory negative feedback system. So the feedback system's broken and there's too much cortisol being made, usually by a tumour okay, or an overgrowth. It doesn't have to be a cancer. It can be a benign tumour or what we call an adenoma, but that is the cause. And usually the management is surgical. But when you do have this, uh, you get weight gain, you get uh, face kind of round roundness. They call it moon face. Yeah. Which you, get, which you can get if you're orally taking steroids. Yeah, so Cushing's syndrome is when you have exactly the same thing, but it's not because you've got a tumour making too much, it's because you're taking it as a drug. Effect. Exactly, it's a side effect. So you might be using steroids because you've got a kidney transplant or another transplant to suppress your immune system. And, or you might have serious asthma, need to be on it for asthma attack over the years or an autoimmune condition and you're being treated steroids for an autoimmune disease and you can get Cushing syndrome and so it's all the same signs you know round face big tummy skinny legs and arms um you can you know I was just I think it was described when I was a medical student as you kind of like have the body shape of a lemon with two toothpicks in it like a big round <laughs> tummy and skinny legs and arms uh you can bruise easily there are skin effects you can get lots of stretch marks they cause striae officially, um, easy bruising, muscle weakness, mood swings. Some people can get steroid psychosis where they actually completely go off their trolley on steroids. Some people get really angry, 
can make them really angry. You can get um, increased thirst. You can need to urinate too much because there's a bit of crossover action between the different steroids and that's the kind of adrenocorticoid side of it. So too little cortisol also is a syndrome. So let's just say you have pituitary burnout or you have adrenal failure and you don't make enough cortisol. So again, the feedback is broken, but not because of a overproduction, because of a failure to make enough. That's called Addison's disease. And you can die from that, by the way, because you need cortisol to regulate your blood pressure and sugar metabolism and so forth. So it's generally not like a light switch thing with Addison's disease. You don't generally just suddenly you don't make enough cortisol. It's generally like a gradual failure. And so when the adrenals fail, you might feel fatigue, dizzy, something called postural hypotension. So when you stand up, you get dizzy. Um, And that's to do with regulation of the blood pressure not being right. You can lose weight. Again, muscle weakness, mood changes. Uh, Another typical sign is darkening of the skin. And without treatment, it's potentially life-threatening. So if anything like that is going on, you really should seek help and see your doctor. And if you're prescribed steroids, like cortisol, you have to wean off it gradually because when you take cortisol, it does mess with the feedback loop and your ability to um, regulate. And you've got to let that feedback loop switch back on slowly. So if you're on a steroid dose for whatever reason, let's just say you've got an acute asthma attack and you've been told to take 20 milligrams a day, for example, you can't just stop. You've got to wean down to 10 and then to 5 and then eventually stop and just let your own feedback system loop turn on again. Otherwise, you'll get symptoms that are not dissimilar to Addison's disease, Mm. steroid withdrawal. And that can happen quite quickly, can't it? Yeah. So in terms of fertility, steroids can be used in fertility. They're not usually indicated. So most patients who have infertility will never be prescribed a steroid. There is a very small group of patients who have true immune-related issues with fertility and of those are smaller still who may benefit from steroid use and in those patients where they might have had recurrent miscarriages or other immune conditions relating to infertility the advice is the same in terms of weaning off the steroids that you need to wean slowly and it has to be under the supervision of a doctor but I would say that most patients who think they have recurrent implantation failure that is autoimmune don't and I think it's probably overdiagnosed. And you've got to remember that in infertility, there is the... Well, look, I've used this, this analogy before in obstetrics. In obstetrics, we say there's the patient, there's the passage, and there's the passenger. And that's when you talk about labour and, you know, how likely you are to have a normal birth, you know? The patient being the person, the woman carrying the baby, the passage being the shape of her pelvis, for example and the passenger being the baby. So look, to take that analogy to fertility, I would say there's the patient. Instead of the passage, I would say there's the uterus, you know, and then there's the embryo. And having true autoimmune dysfunction with implantation, I think is much rarer than people think it is in terms of when patients read things online. Embryo problems are much more common than people think they are. And so, for example, if you're 38 or above, it's going to be the majority of embryos that cannot make a baby, not the minority. It won't be the average embryo that can make a baby. It'll be the special embryo that can. 
Whereas when you're 21, that's quite different. And most of my patients are not 21. And in terms of the number of successful IVF attempts to have a baby, well, if we look at the average in Australia, the average baby born in Australia is a result of 2.6 stimulated IVF cycles. Wow. So I think we just have to keep that in context and that is really important. And I think the way to help patients reach success in IVF is, yes, to diagnose the underlying concerns correctly and then target therapy so that they address the underlying concerns. And one concern I have about immune therapy in pregnancy, if it is targeted without evidence, is that we may be treating women with what are, as you see from this episode, quite dangerous drugs with serious side effects that are not going to help them get pregnant and might cause other bad things to happen. So I certainly think there's a role, and I've had patients who've had success with steroid therapy in IVF in context of there being some evidence for the use of steroid therapy. But I would also say that this is an experimental therapy. It's not something that is proven and it has to be very targeted for specific patients where we think it's relevant. And it's certainly not something that should be used in a widespread sense in IVF because these problems when they occur with autoimmune dysfunction around implantation are very rare. Thank you. You're welcome. And we just wanted to point out that we answered this episode as a listener question. That came to us via Instagram, yeah. at Dr. Radio Lou. So thank you for following us on the socials. We love to answer your listener questions and um, take care. Thank you for listening to Knocked Up. For more information about hormones, fertility and women's health, please visit womenshealthmelbourne.com.au. You can also check out our back catalogue. We've got a lot of specific and not specific information. And if you subscribe, that will help keep you up to date with our latest episodes. You can also follow us on social media at Women's Health Melbourne and at Dr. Radio If you'd like to see one of our doctors or allied health professionals, you can make an appointment via womenshealthmelbourne.com.au and the phone number is listed there as well. 